Policies of Exclusion, Poverty, and Health, Stories from the Front, compiled with introduction and reports by Crystal Ocean. Copyright 2005, Wise Group. Episode 10 Stories India Method Interview When I was in Nanaimo, they wanted to do a similar project, but it was for people recently off drugs and alcohol. After 18 years, I had more to say about the program than anything. But they didn't want me. I figured this might be a change, and that I could get what I want across, especially to the government and to everybody else. Hey, come on, we're people too. We're not second-class citizens. Positive highlights of my life? My daughter, for one, even though she was a result of the rape. She's the most precious thing to me, even though there's a downside to that. I haven't seen her since before she was two. But there hasn't been very much positive. My mom was from Muncie Reserve, Chippewa off the Thames, London District. My father was French and Irish. My adoptive parents, who I loved very dearly, they taught me a lot, are northern Tichone, and I speak that language. My foster family were Pennsylvania Dutch. I was raised with my grandparents before I was taken away at four and put into a foster home when I was five. By the time I was fourteen, I was raped twice, once by my foster father and then by two other guys. In the foster home, there was a lot of mental and physical and psychological abuse. She put my fingers on the propane stove. She used to strip me and tie me up to the clothesline pole and beat me with red willows. That was by the time I was ten. I had to run away when I was fourteen. After that, I didn't know about love, how to love my own daughter. The way women were thought of, I knew what they were. They were just an object to use. When I was on my own, I used every guy I could get a hold of. I had no place to stay, so I used them. I started getting into the alcohol and drugs then. I'd get beaten up because I wouldn't put out. If it was late at night, I had to get a place to stay. I had to do it. It was awful. I realized that's when I cut off my emotions. I didn't want to feel any more. So I stuffed them, all the pain and everything, because I didn't want to get hurt any more. I had no trust. I didn't even have a woman as a friend. I used and abused men to get where I wanted. I had a different face for every situation. If I was at church, I had one kind of face. If I wanted to be in the political arena, I had to put on a different face and act like them and talk like them. That's how I saw the world. You use other people to get where you want. My experience seeking help has been terrible. I was in and out of psych wards from eight years old. 
In 1986, I saw a psychiatrist in Saskatchewan, and she gave me the wrong medication. I ended up with a chemical imbalance. I was like a four or five-year-old, could hardly talk, couldn't even write. I went like that for a week. If it wasn't for a young nurse in there to find out what was going on, I wouldn't have found out, and I think I would have still been in there today. Then trust issues with other mental health workers. I don't have energy. I'm overweight. I've scoliosis of the back, two pinched nerves at the top of my spine, three at the bottom, a cracked tailbone, and arthritis in my joints. My emotional health is running ragged. I have new emotions coming out since I went to treatment. Things I stuffed years ago are coming out. Things I should have learned, was supposed to have learned when I was younger. One of them is love, passion, and sometimes they're coming out at inappropriate times. It's just going haywire on me. My social life is the pits. I don't have a social life. When I came back from treatment, I was in the house night and day. It's hard to associate with my drinking friends because they're still drinking. I have no close friends here. It's a trust issue. I've just started to trust women. It's hard to be around women very much, for one thing. I'm very picky in all my friends. There are some that I'd like to know a bit better, because we have a lot in common. But I take things slowly. I don't like anybody paying my way, unless I ask them. It takes away my choice. In the last year, I've only gone to the movie once, because of the money. Other than that, there's nothing, and everything takes money. My family is all in the Yukon or in Ontario, and I have no contact with them right now. It hurts. I don't have the money to make phone calls. If I had the money, I'd visit them, especially my nieces. I haven't seen them in three years. My family members haven't the money either to come see me. Hobbies? Right now I'm back into beading again but not as much as before. I get my beads from Victoria because it's way too expensive here. I'm supposed to be doing sets, but if I can't get down there to get the beads I need or have the money to do it... I love making things and making and giving them away. It breaks my heart because I can't do it. I've had disastrous relationships. If I couldn't handle a situation, I'd move. Over eighteen years I've been running. When I came to the island, I came to where I am right now. I've got my roots here now, and have learned I cannot run, that I have to learn to stand up and fight for what I want, again, and that if I want to be healthy, I've got to stand and fight. This time I am sticking it, and I hope now everything's going to be changed. There are a lot of things I've got to do right now. That hurts because I have to look back, which is scary, since I wasn't protected when I was young. I will have to deal with it, and I will help others. I'm still searching spiritually. My spiritual faith right now is with the Baha'i, 
but I'm also attending the Anglican Church. A lot of times they conflict. It bothers me. I need my sweats. I need my smudges. I need that close association with cultural roots. Between the one faith and the other, I'm not getting it. I'm being pulled apart. I want to be with First Nations people. I'm learning in the last two months to accept who I am, to trust and to join my emotions back to my mind again. I can accept myself now. I am learning to trust, but there is still that edge when I get slapped in the face. I got slapped in the face today, and it feels like I've taken two steps back, but I've still got other supports that are keeping me going in the right direction. I have one year of university. I wanted to go to Europe and be an ambassador. That was my goal at one time. I never did what I wanted to do. I never did get into politics. I've worked all my life. I couldn't be off work for two weeks. I'd be too restless. I wanted to work and work and work. There's a saying, you work to live. With me, I lived to work. It's what kept me alive. I've done field cleaning, worked in tobacco, even though I was allergic to tobacco, and worked in forestry on and off for 20 years. Started out as a cook, then became a radio operator timekeeper. I also was a dispatcher because I had to keep in training for my radio operator's license. I've got that for the rest of my life. I was also an adult care worker. The last job was taking care of my adoptive mother. After she died, I said, no more of that. I want to work. It gets me out. It gets me moving. It gets me income. Receiving public financial assistance makes me feel worthless. We are allowed to earn $400 a month. Anything over that, watch out. Your DB2 goes. Note to listener. DB2 refers to disability benefits too the second of two categories of eligible disability under British Columbia's Employment and Assistance Act 2002. Returning to the story now. We are allowed to earn $400 a month. Anything over that, watch out, your DB2 goes. That's why I'm scared to go full-time. I may not be able to get on DB2 again. Most of us that are on DB2, or have been on it, we never know when they decide to cut us off. Right now, we're going once a month, waiting to see if the axe will fall on us. There are already 14 people that I know of since March that have been knocked off. It's like it's their money. They don't want to give you anything, and it makes you feel like you're begging. I was always taught hold your head up high. You're a person. But when you go into the ministry office, they make you feel like you're not worth anything. They can walk all over you. They've got a job. They don't need welfare. But sometimes I wish they'd turn around and be on welfare just for two months to see what it's like on the other side. Their attitude stinks sometimes, and you have to put up with it.
I've got about sixteen years before I can get my old age age pension. At the same time, I don't want to be that age. I live in a one-bedroom apartment on the bottom floor. I had a break-in. They came through the balcony. If the screen door was on the outside and the glass door on the inside, which it's supposed to be, all they had to do was jiggle it and come in. I have a basic bed that was given to me. I wake up in pain all the time. I have one chair, and I use a PlayStation to help me with my arthritis in my hands. But I also have to get out and exercise the rest of my bones. I don't watch much TV, and I never did have cable. That's it, and one desk. I basically have nothing. I have three sources for food. The one is three or four times a year, and that's the Salvation Army. The quality is really good there, or I go to the grocery store. But what I get from the ministry does not cover what I need. The other source is the food bank. A lot of the things the food bank gets from other people, especially canned stuff, is spoiled. I've always been a great meat eater. Meat is too expensive down here, and my diet has completely changed. I have meat maybe once a month. Or whatever protein I can get at the food bank, that's not very much. Half the time I can't eat the soup because there are too many beans. I'm allergic to beans. I'm not getting my daily protein, which I crave. I have no energy. In the Yukon, I had so much energy. I've applied for public housing, but there is no BC housing in Duncan. I went to Kiwanis and was put on a waiting list. I've phoned back, and there's still nothing. I've applied for First Nations housing, but there's nothing yet. I don't have a phone. I can't afford it. I don't have a car. The buses don't run often enough, not even on Sundays. I walk about five miles to church. If there's an event catered for low-income people, there are no buses to get there, and the bus fare is almost two bucks. Here, the rent is atrocious. Before I got on DB2, I was only getting five hundred and ten dollars a month. They tell they tell you you're supposed to live on that. My rent now is four hundred and forty-five dollars. My DB2 kicked in. The whole month, I'm supposed to live on three hundred and twenty-one dollars and eat healthy and pay my bills. I can't do it. I need a special diet allowance. Can't get that. The only way I can get anything is if I was paying fuel and ran out of fuel. I've asked them. They say you have to get a thing from the doctor. I have. They won't accept another doctor's note. I don't have a doctor right now. I need one. My previous doctor would not lower my medication. It numbs my emotions. We had a heated discussion about that. I was going into treatment. I wanted to feel the healing. I couldn't do that if the medication was keeping me at one level. We agreed it was better that I seek another doctor. And she would be on an emergency basis until the end of March. 
she did not refer me to another doctor. There is no new doctor. There's a shortage of doctors. I'm supposed to get help with my apartment. I haven't seen anything for that. I'm supposed to have somebody twice a week come to get me out of the house, go to meetings, do this, do that. No. It was all written out by the person who helped me at Salvation Army with the DB2. My doctor, the same thing, and the occupational therapist. Nothing came of it. I had to get dental surgery. The ministry would not pay for it. I asked for a different worker. She was very rude to, to an orthopedic surgeon's receptionist. She can give me a hard time as much as she wants, but don't do it to me through other people. I paid the $85 for the surgery. A lot of it takes money to go to a physiotherapist, which I know I need. Everything takes money. A lot of times for therapy or anything like that, BC benefits won't pay. We're supposed to be getting $1,600 a year on crisis grants on DB2, but we can't get it. I'm not dying. You have to be dying before you can get the crisis grant. In the future, I'll feel better. I need to have it better. To me, it wouldn't be a job, but a vocation. Horses have been my hobby all my life. If I had the money, I'd have enough acreage for a wildlife sanctuary, therapeutic riding, and camping for underprivileged kids. I want to work with people who have barriers, mental or physical. I need a job to ensure a good future. That's the only way I can get it, is to have more money, that I can live comfortably right now and put the rest away. My age and physical disabilities are barriers. There should be more resources, like the traffic control course. There should be other avenues you can take if one falls through.